it. Welcome to the State of Strata. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, I'm joined by Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, and we'll be diving into how to build a great culture at your clinic, making sure everyone on your staff is completely aligned with your mission, and how to implement a sense of urgency into your clinic. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. All right, so State of Strata is busy. And obviously not all busy is good, but in our, in our case, I think busy is really good right now. What are we, we're about almost halfway through, uh, just about halfway through Q3 now. And we knew going into the quarter that, you know, if we hit 80% of our larger rocks, that this would be one of the most productive quarters in the company's history. And it's turning out to be true. And, you know, it's it's hard to sort of cover the efforts of 30-ish people in just a few minutes here. But in broad strokes, the RCM team has implemented a number of new processes. There's a bunch of stuff under the hood in terms of things we're doing with clearing houses and kind of moving people around a little bit, retraining, kind of rebuilding our processes and really kind of thinking about what does that side of the business need to look like if we were to double or triple revenue. So it's not glamorous by any means, but the RCM team has sort of been heads down, kind of almost like retooling itself as it gets ready. And so that's been really good to see that happening. On the engineering side, lots of very similar stuff, under under the hood kind of stuff that nobody ever sees. But if you look at sort of momentum, which we can measure on the engineering side in terms of tickets that are completed, deploys that are done, uptime, things like that, that seems to be going well, too. I mean, I think just preliminary numbers, I think we're uh, somewhere between 10 and 15% up on ticket speed. So just means that we're getting faster at, at knocking out work orders. Um, uptime is always high, 99.999% uh, for, for hosting people. <laughs> Over 100 code deploys. And under the hood, actually, one of the really unsexy parts that that I think is really important, though, is, is that they, they sort of rebuilt or, or or kind of set up the tooling now where we can actually do deploys on the fly. Now that's, again, kind of a little too nerdy maybe for most people, but we're now at a point where we can actually deploy on the fly, not have to wait till the middle of the night, not have to worry about, you know, accidentally logging somebody out. So overall, I think on the engineering side, that continues to go really well. On the growth side, you know, when we kind of combine marketing and sales, feel really good about that. We, we launched that new, um, our content efforts, initial numbers are really good. You know, thousands of eyeballs across all the platforms uh, every week now. We're starting to see that uptick on email capture and, and we're starting to experiment with top of funnel capture as opposed to just bottom of funnel so that's going really well, kind of setting up for where we need to be as we head into Q4. And then, you know, at a broader, maybe higher level for the overall company, we've also extended a bunch of offer letters, you know, uh, folks that, you know, are coming down the pipe in terms of engineering and RCM and and uh, and sales and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's July was really busy. I know I, I'm going to sound awful here, but I think the reality is, I think a lot of companies, not just in healthcare, but I think a lot of companies slow the pace down during the summer 
And that's natural, right? You got time off and your kids are off of school and all that stuff. And I think we were able to kind of maintain that sort of healthy work-life balance across the company while also knocking out a lot of really big things candidly while our competitors were kind of asleep at the wheel. So yeah, overall, the state of Strata is uh, exactly where I want it to be. Uh, busy and building towards uh, where we need to be as we head into Q4. So I'm happy. What's been the most challenging part of the last maybe 30 or even 45 days, whether it's from a team standpoint, product standpoint, what are those challenges? Yeah, I think that when you like, I don't know, Google around the internet or whatever, and you start to like read, read other people's stories of how, you know, the things they found hard about their company and the things they found easy. I find that most people write about the easy stuff, like, oh, I didn't, you know, this product feature or that, like, I guess to answer your question, I would say the hardest part is always just sort of managing team morale, team expectations. I, let me put it to you a different way. I think one of the most important things in a company that nobody ever talks about is inertia. Meaning as your company gets bigger, more mature, you get more customers, things like that. There's this sort of inertia, this thing that sort of slows everything down. And I will admit right away that that's normal. But the thing I think that nobody talks about is that you have to actively fight that. And the way that sort of rears its head, this might seem like an abstract concept, but the way it sort of rears its head when you're talking to your team and your colleagues and stuff like that is little subtle phrases like, well, it didn't used to be that way, or, you know, we never had to do it that way, or this is just so different than that. And so I find that to be probably one of the more challenging but important parts of the business. Because really what you're dealing with is emotions. And I won't name names and, and make anybody uncomfortable, but you know, there's been conversations I've had around the company where I have to say to people like, look, I just, I just need you to breathe. This is normal. You're safe. Failure's okay. I, I don't know if I'm making sense there, but that's, I think, the most challenging part is really just managing that or fighting that inertia that sets into companies as you get bigger and bigger. And then the way to fight that inertia is to make sure that every single person understands that there's a reason to this madness. There's a reason why we do things a little bit different. And there's a reason why we kind of have to always be playing to win as opposed to not allowing ourselves to play not to lose. And that's difficult, I think, from a, a leadership standpoint is some people are used to playing to lose, quote unquote, they're playing it safe. It can be difficult as a leader. Not every company is the opportunity or not even the opportunity, but has the correct leadership to build a culture that people want to play to win because there are risks, there are failures and there are challenges and things that don't go well. And so I think that's the cool thing about Strata is building the culture of take a risk, obviously nothing insane, but at the same time, we got to make our bets. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think in a related vein, I think one of the things that a lot of companies don't realize is that you have to constantly reinvent yourself almost every year. And most companies don't do that. I think most companies sort of, they have this founding story and then someday that founding story sort of disappears and everything sort of becomes stale. <laughs> I'm probably going to lose some friends on this one, but you know a company's getting stale when the founding story or the founder becomes known as the owner. And you see that a lot actually in healthcare, but I, I think you see it a lot in a lot of other industries too. It's, it's where somebody will introduce themselves as the owner of the company or something like that. And, and I get why you have to do that sometimes. You, you know, you got to flex for the press or a customer or whatever. I, I, get, I get how that game is played. 
But from a culture standpoint and in a momentum standpoint, I think that that's one of those telltale signs when a company is starting to play not to lose, because now everything becomes about pleasing the owner, not disappointing the owner, uh, staying in the owner's good graces and things like that. And so this is the constant struggle is, is just making sure that you're getting people aligned with that. And I, I will admit, by the way, I don't think I'm great at it. You know, I'm not trying to like portray like everything's perfect, right? But I think the point is, though, is that that's one of the struggles. It's always a struggle. And particularly for us, this year is a big building year for us. So there's a lot of, I would say, perceived discomfort because we're having to kind of change processes, uh, you know, rethink how things need to look if we're going to double revenue every year, that sort of thing. And so what comes with that discomfort, I think is just natural for most humans. Like, what does this mean for me? Uh, I will say one of the most jarring conversations I had this month was with a prospective employee who ultimately wasn't a real fit for us. But the conversation was really fascinating because she sort of caught me by surprise. She said something like, oh, you guys are investing in so much technology that you'll never need my role eventually. It was fascinating the way, you know, it was just, to me, that was really fascinating because the words that I was using to share our company's vision were taken in a different way. And that's not her fault, but it was interesting to me and almost and jarring to hear how she interpreted that. And I had to kind of backpedal and say, no, 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 no. There's never a scenario where that role or those roles are non-existent. But the difference is, is that how do we use technology to maybe scale past what most people do? Actually, let's talk about this for a minute because one of the meta metrics, which I don't think that's a real word, but we're going to make that up. I think one of the meta metrics is, is revenue per employee. Just as a placeholder here, obviously not everything's about revenue for anybody listening, but it's one of those benchmarks that when you have a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries, that benchmark kind of helps you kind of see where you're at. And to give you a sense of scale, pure software as a service companies tend to have much higher revenue per employee. So don't quote me on this, but think of like Facebook and Google and things like that. Those are typically companies that have 500,000 to a million dollars or more per employee in terms of revenue. In our industry, particularly with some of the larger players, at least from the public data that we can gather, I estimate that they are sitting somewhere between 150 and $200,000 per employee as a top line revenue number. When you think about that, like, I think we need to invest in technology so that our revenue per employee is much more efficient. And I think we're going to be able to exceed those numbers. I don't want to sort of give away the secret here yet, but I think the reality is, is that when I think about our, the way we use technology, it's not about reducing headcount. It's actually about minimizing the direct correlation with how many people you need on the team and how much of an impact your company has on the industry. So to like talk about this in plain English, as, as if I was talking to my family over a dinner table, you know, I think the thing is, is that 30 years ago to be a billion dollar company, you needed thousands of people on your team and you got to manage those people and grow their careers and, and have big offices and stuff like that. And then over the course of the next few decades to where we are now, I think it's possible to build billion dollar companies with a hundred people, you know, plus or minus, right? Don't kill me here, guys. But I think the reality is that that's something I think a lot about is that that sort of meta metric of revenue per employee, because I think what we can do is sort of build the company with that in mind, invest in technology with that in mind, because ultimately the goal here is, is to not only help our clients run and grow better, but also to kind of like nurture our own team 
and their careers into what I think the future of RCM needs to look like. So to put that really bluntly, I think the past of RCM was lots of spreadsheets, lots of pounding the phones, lots of call centers, and frankly, lots of hard work and lots of stuff just slipping through the cracks. And I think where we're headed is, is like this future where technology does the majority of the work, you know, fighting the big payers and stuff like that. And ultimately, you still need humans somewhere in the mix to understand when the technology doesn't do what it needs to do, because maybe the game changes and stuff like that. So let me pause there. I, I can talk more about that if you want. But I think ultimately, it comes back to just managing momentum. And to do that, it's really about people figuring out how to speak to them in a way that jives with them, you know? And back to that piece about alignment and making sure everyone's on the same page. I think one of the things we've heard from various clinic owners is the team grows. It's a difficult market to hire in. And so making sure your your team is happy on board and understands the mission is critical. And I'm curious what strategies and what learnings have you had when trying to make sure, you know, a 30 person team is aligned, what things to say, what things to not say, and how to just constantly remind folks that, hey, don't get lost. This is what we're aiming for. Don't get lost in the details. Uh, you know, when I figure that out, I'll tell you. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a moving target. And like I said earlier, I, I don't know that I'm doing it well yet. Let me just kind of be maybe a little uh, critical of myself. I think I spent the first half of this quarter really heads down in marketing and content and strategy around that to make sure that we front-loaded a lot of that work to get to where we needed to be. So I had to like get that new site out with the engineering team, you know, the new content out with you and your team, that sort of thing. But now here we are halfway through the quarter and I need to sort of adjust the schedule a little bit and start to spend a little bit more time internally with those various teams to talk about that very thing. And the subtle but important thing here is, is I got to be careful and not, I can't say things like don't focus on the details. I need them. I need everybody to focus on the details. But I think it's important to just make sure that there's always this context of where we're headed. Like, why are we doing the things that we're doing? I don't have a good answer for you on how we're going to get there. I, I can tell you that for the second half of this quarter, I'll be spending more time internally to spend more time with teams that I don't interface with on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, I might have a better answer for you at the end of the quarter. But what I will tell you is, is that I know what it looks like when it works. And what I mean by that is, is like, you should be able to just pick any random five people on the team and ask them what the strategy is and what the goal is for the company. And all five of those people should independently be able to tell you the same thing. Again, I'm not trying to skirt your question. It's just that I'm working on it now. We'll see how it goes. But I think you know it when you know it, or you know it when you see it. Think of any company that you encounter in your other lives and stuff like that. That's how you know. It's like if you were to just randomly pick five people and ask them where we're headed, why we do the things we're doing, if they all say the same thing, then something is working. <laughs> sure. Yeah. For the rest of the, so we're halfway through the, the quarter, what are those kind of big rocks still left to accomplish that you'd you know, really like to, to see get done? So again, I'm going to preface this again, as usual with, it's hard to kind of encompass all 30 people's goals and stuff like that in a few minutes here. But in broad strokes, I think, you know, as we go into the second half of the quarter, I think our clients and our team are going to see a lot more of the improvements that are coming to the product. And again, I, I realize this audience is probably not all that technically savvy, but the reality is, is that we had to sort of cash in and fight off some technical debt over the lot that we had accrued over the last couple of quarters. The first half of the, this quarter was really about nailing that, getting the, the, the tooling in place, uh, those sorts of things. 
But when you think about what that means, it means that, for example, now we're able to release the uh, public benchmarks, or at least the first version of it. By the time this episode comes out, if you go to strata.pt slash benchmarks, you will see the first iteration of our public, anonymized, aggregated data sets to help people run their practices better and, and that sort of thing. And that's a direct result, for example, of having to get the underlying tooling and everything working. We've got more KPI reporting coming for clients. There's more optical character recognition technology that we're rolling out across the product, both for our internal staff, but also for our customers. There's new dashboards that are coming out. There's some productivity features that will allow our clients to multitask a little bit better, things like that. So all of those things are actually, if you were to look at the product over the last six weeks, just visually, you'd, you'd probably look at it and say, well, nothing's changed. But the truth of it is, is that all the underlying tooling has kind of gotten updated. And I think we're now in a good spot to be able to start making those visible changes because the underlying pieces are working. In a very similar way, you know, when you think about this more broad topic of RCM processes and, and improvements we've made, you know, at face value, if you were to look at that, it just sort of feels busy and hard and what's in it for me, both for as a client and as a team member. But the reality is, is that you have to kind of make a lot of those changes before anything's really visible to anybody. But we can already see, like, here we are halfway through the quarter. And, you know, without, just because this is a public venue, I won't give the exact numbers. But, you know, if you look at sort of some of the internal metrics in terms of work orders and throughput, things like that, the numbers are double-digit percentages better in almost every way. It may not feel like that when you're in the grind, but the aggregate numbers are better for everybody. So I'm sorry for being a little bit vague, but again, you know, within a public venue, it's hard to give exact numbers here, but. Oh, that's good. Switching gears for a sec, Paul, let's talk about the speed of things when you are trying to increase and, and maintain speed in a company. Specifically, let's maybe target this advice at clinic owners. What advice do you have to give them in, in terms of getting their team aligned, but then also having a sense of urgency and implementing that into the team as they progress? Uh, man, this is one of those hard things. Um, okay, so first, let me just preface this by saying, I'm not really sure, <laughs> but I can tell you like how I think about it. So in broad strokes, let's start with this one sort of framework that speed is really your advantage. It doesn't matter whether you're a practice owner software company owner, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like whether you're talking about your individual career, the company you run, whatever it is, speed is really the big differentiator. And that's a relatively new phenomenon because I think in our parents' generation, time and the amount of time you spent in a role determined how much success you might have, however you define success. I think for this generation that we're in now and the next generation that's coming, I think speed matters. The number of iterations you're able to run in any given time period determines whether or not you are successful. And again, this is true of whether you're talking about your personal career or your company. Now, with that being said, in broad strokes here, it comes down to push versus pull. Most people, I think, when they think about speed and getting things done, things like that, they immediately resort to push because sort of the common understanding of leadership and management is about push, push these people, push, push, push. And it's easy, relatively, because you can just say, do this, do that, do that. But what happens is, is that over time, you then wake up and you're like, why do I have to push everybody? Why is nobody else getting this? I, I hear this all a lot from other business owners sometimes. They'll be like, I'll say, what's the most frustrating part of your business? And they'll say, oh, you know, nobody understands. Nobody gets it as much as I do. 
And I know in my head right away, it's because they're, they've defaulted to a push method because that's, that's kind of what most business literature these days talks about. On the flip side, there's this pull concept. And pull is harder because pull is abstract. Pull requires more alignment. Pull requires you to get to know as many of the underlying things that make your team operate, you know, like what is it that makes you, Thomas, actually want to get up and do something? For anybody listening, it's the difference between waking up and saying, oh, I got to go to work versus, hey, I got to get up and man, I can't wait to do X, whatever X is. And so this pull sort of style of leadership is harder. It's how you drive speed, I think, because otherwise everybody becomes a bottleneck doesn't matter whether you're managing a team of three or a team of 30 or a team of 3,000. I guess where I'm going with this is that in the short term, you can push and get really tremendous results. But I guarantee you, the minute you go on vacation or the minute you have some other priority, the push stops, everybody stops, as opposed to pull. And pull, I think, really is a little bit harder to discuss because it comes down to everybody's different leadership style, different management style, whatever. But if you can get people aligned and you can get your team aligned to a broader mission, something bigger than themselves, something bigger than the company, that's where the magic really happens. I think that's obviously a little bit of an abstract topic, but I think this is true for practice owners too. I think we recorded a couple, I I don't want to jump ahead here yet, but like we recorded, you and I recorded a couple episodes uh, this month with some notable people in 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 the PT world. And a couple of those folks talked about sort of how practices are valued? How do you price your practice when you're going to sell it? And it's really fascinating because like, you know, most practice owners don't realize that like, if that practice can't run without you, then there's not a lot of value there. In other words, like you're not going to get three, five, 10x multiples on your, on your revenue or your earnings if you've been using a push style of leadership. Maybe this needs to be its own episode at some point. We should, we should talk about this. But ultimately the point is, is that speed does matter doesn't matter whether we're talking about personal lives, personal careers, or company success. Speed does matter. And more importantly, how you get that speed will determine your company's culture, your stress levels, and all the other things that come with both of those things. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to switch gears one more time here, and we're kind of jumping around. But we're halfway through the the quarter. As you look to Q4 and your goals for that, and maybe even into Q1 of next year, has anything changed for you in terms of any aha moments or realizations or, you know, we want to double down on on this category or is it still in the kind of the same trajectory as you thought? Um, Let's set the stage on this. So we're recording this in the first half of August of 2023. So Q4 is six weeks around the corner. So about a month from now, actually, I'll be pulling the leadership team together for our Q4 planning meeting. And so if you ask me this question again in about a month, I'll, I'll have a better answer for you. But I'm actually in the middle of writing my narrative for Q3 and Q4 right now. Um, I only share that because like, if I sound a little wishy-washy, it's because I'm, I'm in the middle of the thought process now and, and refining it before we get the team together next month. With that being said, though, let me just share kind of where my head's at with the caveat that this could change as I refine my thoughts for the next 30 days. Okay, so... What we know has worked over the last six weeks is content. We know that by almost every measure that increasing content has worked. It is driving more uh, awareness for the brand. I think more affinity, you know, as, as people think about getting a demo, signing up, that sort of thing. 
to put it really bluntly, it shows in the conversion rates. You know, e email capture conversion rates are up 2x. Con demo uh, rates, I believe, are close to 2x. Traffic is starting to rise, things like that. So the things we know that are working are top of funnel content. Um, obviously, you still have a lot of ways to go there. Um, I think that there's probably still room for about another 10x increase in content output. So we'll, we'll kind of talk about doubling down on that. Let's talk about things that haven't gone well. I think I, I kind of was critical on myself a little earlier. I don't think I spent as much time as I should have internally facing, which I'm sort of rectifying as we go into the second half of Q3. Uh, you know, I've got the same 24 hours in the day as everybody else, but that's not really an excuse. <laughs> so I would say I, that hasn't gone well for me. I, I think I over-indexed on content and code and, and that sort of thing, but we'll fix that as we go into the second half. There's probably a couple other things I could talk about in terms of like, we didn't, like I didn't knock out uh, some recruiting efforts as fast as I should have. We got some offer letters out to people that I wish I had done back in June, you know, hindsight being 2020. But the reality is, is that we got the offer letters out in July. And I think we'll start to see those folks rolling in here mid to late August, early September, depending on, you know, each of their deals with their previous employers, things like that. So, so in broad strokes, though, I think as we go into Q4, I know this is going to sound kind of hand wavy, but I think we know that we can double down on content. We know we can double down on our sales and onboarding and customer growth efforts. The areas we're going to have to invest in are probably more internal facing, starting to think about which of the team members are totally overloaded with too many responsibilities and going through that exercise of like, what does X look like? You know, how many other people need to be on, you know, that sort of thing. And so... Again, I apologize for being a little hand wavy. I think if you ask me this question in 30 days, I'll have a much cleaner thought around this because I'll be walking into the leadership meeting ready to talk about this. And, you know, we wrote that article a couple of weeks ago about how I think about it. So if you reference that article, maybe we'll put it in the show notes here. This is that narrative. I, I don't like to do Q4 or any quarterly planning without a narrative that talks about the way I look at the last quarter. And I then try to encourage the entire team to just poke holes. You know, I'm not trying to... The goal here uh, from a leadership standpoint is not to drive agreement, it's to drive alignment. And, and you have to drive alignment through debate. You know, hey guys, here's how I think we did, the good, bad, and the ugly. What do you think? <laughs> Thanks for listening to another State of Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. <laughs>